From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. Since October 7th, Israel has taken more Palestinians hostage than it has released in ongoing prisoner swaps. And those being released from Israel's dungeons tell harrowing tales. They beat him and beat him and beat him until he died. We yelled at them to get the doctor, but the doctor didn't arrive until an hour and a half later. The young man was already martyred in cold blood. The young man was martyred on the floor and they didn't do anything as if nothing was happening. He was martyred on the floor and he gave his soul to God on the floor because of torture. And we continue to explore mounting evidence that Israeli forces killed many of their own citizens on October 7th. We speak to Gray Zone editor Max Blumenthal. Israel is trying to exaggerate the atrocities of October 7th in order to make it seem proportionate and to give themselves space for a revenge operation that actually has no real military objective except killing people and satiating the bloodlust of Israelis. All that and more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Mr. Ivarum. And now I'm joined by our geopolitical analyst, the author and activist, Professor Gerald Horn. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm, uh, I thought I would do my headlines with you today. We have Henry Kissinger, the former Secretary of State and National Security Advisor under Nixon and Ford, and the former diplomat credited, if that is the right word, with probably millions of deaths around the world because of his being a war criminal and being responsible for U.S. policies that enacted death and destruction from Cambodia to Chile to Indonesia. And then we have the ongoing genocide in, in Gaza. And it seems to me that these two news stories, these two headlines are very much connected because I look at the stated purpose of genocide uh, by the Zionist regime with more than 15,000 people confirmed dead, estimates doubling that, counting those still dying and dead underneath the rubble, carpet bombing of Gaza, hospitals and schools being targeted, killing hundreds of people. It goes on, you know, including on Thursday, the news that decomposing premature babies were found in one hospital after Israeli forces invaded. We have thousands more expected to die because they have been denied water and food. And now many people, uh, in addition to starving, they don't have their clothing from their homes that have been destroyed as the winter sets in. So to me, these two stories are related. Well, let's start with Henry Kissinger. You correctly pointed out his dastardly role in the Chilean coup, September 11, 1973, the so-called secret bombing of Cambodia, no secret to the people who had bombs dropped on their head, of course, the massacres in East Timor uh, during his ill-fated administration. But what I'd like to talk about is his collaboration with apartheid in the 1970s. With Mozambique surging to independence in 1975 and Angola shortly thereafter, you had the dispatching of Cuban troops to foil an invasion from apartheid South Africa to overthrow the newly minted regime in Luanda, Angola. This heroism of the Cubans was then blamed on the Soviet Union, which then led to a wrecking of detente. Recall that just before that, Kissinger had made overtures to the People's Republic of China 
on an anti-Soviet basis. That is seen as a masterstroke of U.S. diplomacy, interestingly enough, even though the price was stiff, that is to say massive foreign direct investment uh, to the People's Republic of China. And that was then turned against the former Soviet Union as the price that they pay for standing by Cuba during the uh, Cuban dispatching of troops. But what happened, as we all know, in 2023, is that uh, this helped to create this juggernaut in China. We should also point out that this was a bipartisan policy. That policy was accelerated under President Jimmy Carter. In fact, you had the president of the United Auto Workers, Leonard Woodcock, who was appointed U.S. ambassador to China, who then accelerated the movement across the Pacific of manufacturing jobs to China, Kissinger formed a firm, Kissinger Associates, that became a door opener for Fortune 500 corporations who were looking to invest in China. He made a huge fortune as a result of opening doors in China, and in fact, across the globe, to be fair. And also, to be fair, this too was a bipartisan policy because we also saw that Madeleine Albright, the late Secretary of State under Bill Clinton, after she left office, she emulated Kissinger. That is to say, while you're in office, you shape foreign policies that you can then capitalize on when you leave office by forming a so-called consulting firm. So for those looking for villains and individuals who are responsible for the declining status of the U.S. working class, runaway shops at all, look no further than one Henry Kissinger. Well, in addition to this type of capitalizing on his position where he was supposed to be working for the people and then he was working for himself, what I want to get to is just the idea of this broken or bankrupt international legal system. So he dies at age 100, having never been brought to to trial for his many war crimes and is really beyond being a war criminal. It's being responsible for millions of deaths that weren't connected to a war. And from the UN to the organizations that are supposed to protect children to, I guess, the youngest organization is the International Criminal Court. All these organizations that are ostensibly there to protect the global population did not hold Henry Kissinger to account and is not holding the U.S. and the EU and all these former colonizing countries responsible for continuing to aid and abet Israel in its genocide. So that's the connection for me in our headlines. And, and, you know, you don't talk about it much, but you are a lawyer. You do have a legal hat you can put on. And so, you know, talk to us to explain to us regular folks who are just living and watching this in real time and are frustrated because none of our laws here domestically or none of these laws internationally are stopping what we see unfolding before our eyes, this horror. Well, the International Criminal Court is a sham, but in being a sham, it exposes and reveals the very essence and nature of law, which is fundamentally power politics writ large. We all know that the International Criminal Court specializes 
and dancing to the tune of Uncle Sam and dancing to the tune of the North Atlantic powers, which is one of the reasons why disproportionately, overwhelmingly, they prosecute leaders from Africa and prosecute leaders from formerly socialist countries like Yugoslavia. We know as well that South Africa, Algeria, Colombia are seeking to make a referral to the International Criminal Court with regard to Israeli war crimes. But if history is any guide, uh, Uncle Sam and its minions will seek to block that. And then that brings me to rather remarkable statements made recently by the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer. And you mentioned the domestic aspect of this. Uh, He, of course, has stood in the way of helping the progressives in the House side, such as the squad, move towards a ceasefire, move towards at least putting conditions on this military materiel that's being shipped to Israel. And yet, Mr. Schumer, in an op-ed in the New York Times and on remarks on the Senate floor, talked about how the pro-Israel forces in the United States, they feel alone, alone. And I was wondering, why would he say something like that? They have the backing of the White House. They have the backing of the Federal Republic of Germany and a good deal of the capitalist world. So why do they feel alone? And they also have, I'm afraid to say, have the backing, in a sense, of Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, who has been quite mute with regard to calling for a ceasefire. So obviously, we have a lot of work to do not only in terms of explaining the failures and the misdeeds of the International Criminal Court, but also in replacing uh, some of these scarecrows that represent themselves as U.S. senators. Well, it's very interesting. You mentioned his statement on the floor of the House. Dave Zirin uh, does a show called The Collision, where sports and politics collide. And he talked about how Schumer actually referenced an article he did calling it anti-Semitic. Dave Zirin is a Jewish man. And how the statement on the floor of the House was in part to support this motion equating Zionism with Judaism. And I think Zirin also uh, talks about how dangerous that is, is because fulfilling the wishes of, of these Zionist groups like the ADL and APAC to link Judaism with Zionism and how dangerous that is because Judaism has nothing to do with Zionism. And if they are successful in linking in people's minds, the idea that Jewish people and Jewish, the Jewish identity is linked to these genocidal policies, then that's actually endangering more Jewish people. That might be a good place to stop because that's where we are right now with the passage of this resolution as Israel, as the truce has been extended for at least two days. But uh, Zionists in Israel uh, intend to resume this illegal bombardment of, of Gaza. And as they have forced the population into the south of Gaza while bombing them all the while and now turning their attention toward bombing the south. So this is a stepped up campaign of genocide and uh, the Biden administration is standing by. We're going to keep a watch on these very serious issues happening. That is my promise to our listeners. I've been speaking to our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Thank you for joining me today, Gerald. Thank you for inviting me.
Brand and Culture and Media, the Washington, D.C. community is celebrating the life of Tariq Oduno, who joined the ancestors on November 22nd at the age of 76. Known as Baba Oduno, he cut a striking pose at nearly seven feet tall and was known for his expertise in and advocacy for community farming, food access, and nutrition in the black community. His saying was, there's no culture without agriculture. And there's no pharmacy without the farm. His daughter, Asidi, spoke at his service at the Universal Mortuary Services in Northwest D.C. on Saturday, November 25th. When I say my father was a living legend, he may not have been perfect, but I love him the same. And I am thankful and I'm grateful for him because without him, I would not be here. After the service, musicians dressed in traditional African garb filled the afternoon air with the sound of drumming and song as pallbearers loaded Oduno's casket into a hearse before his final ride to the All-Muslim Association of America Cemetery in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And those are headlines and happenings. Up next, a protest for Palestine outside the U.S. State Department and the harrowing stories of Palestinians released from Israeli dungeons. Stay with us. heard 
and our positions known. And we demand the following. We demand a permanent ceasefire in Gaza. We demand the United States end its military funding for the senseless massacres against the Palestinian people. blockade on Gaza be lifted immediately and we demand an end to the 75 years of illegal occupation we demand the release of all our prisoners illegally held in Israeli prisons Zionist Israel has kidnapped as many Palestinians as it's released in the beginning of its humanitarian pause many of them held in administrative detention which means they're held without charge Shame on them. They have doubled the amount of Palestinians that they've kidnapped since October 7th, and they've beaten and tortured the Palestinians they hold hostage, the young and the elderly, everyone inside of their prison walls. Palestinians are walking out of their captors' prisons with broken arms, bruises, ripped clothes, while the settlers walk out of Gaza clean and well taken care of. The State Department has the ability to put a hold on armed transfers in the name of human rights, but they refuse to do so. In fact, they're doing quite the opposite. Biden is trying to expand Israeli access to U.S. weapons stockpiles in the region, lifting almost all current restrictions on it. And this would create a free-flowing pipeline to provide any weapons to Israel just by putting it simply in the stockpiles there. This means less accountability, less congressional oversight, and less transparency to us, the people. The U.S. is enabling and supporting this genocide. We must make We must make our voices heard. We must be loud and disrupt this day. We must disrupt everyone inside sitting in the building because business cannot go on as usual while there's a genocide. We have a message to deliver to everyone who's inside. And we say to them, quit your job! 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 But there is a silver lining. There is a glimmer of hope. The tides continue to turn. Every day we make strides towards liberation. The Zionists pride themselves on not making negotiations. However, we made them confront our demands. They're facing heavy losses, not only in the world stage, through politics and their propaganda, but also in Gaza. The IOF has succumbed to over a thousand casualties, and that's what they've told us. It's probably two or three times more. Hundreds of their equipment have been destroyed, and they're no match for the cause of liberation. today, but the fire of revolution is keeping us warm. It's keeping us strong and it's keeping us steadfast. So, as you all might have seen, some of you might not have seen, Israel has made it illegal for those who are recently released to celebrate their release. They made it illegal and they started 
and shooting at anyone who wasn't their family who went to go and greet them at the prison. Shame on them. They criminalized passing out candy. Shame on them. However, we do not listen or respect Zionists. We will make sure the entire world knows our story. So today I've compiled a list of stories of our prisoners, and I would like you all and anyone who is willing to come up and read them. The liberated captive Roba Asi, liberated prisoner and Brzez University student, Roba Asi has been abducted by the IOF several times for her student activism. Having recently served 21 months until she was freed in March of last year, until she was re-arrested after October 7th and placed under administrative detention without charge or trial. Today, Roba declares, we renew our faith in the Palestinian resistance in all places of their presence. This present freedom will extend to the complete freedom for Palestine and its people. There is hope in the inevitability of victory, hope of freedom, not just for prisoners, but for all Palestinian people and for all Palestinian lands. All the sacrifices that passed by the bodies of the martyrs will not go to waste. The occupation will go to waste and it deserves it. We have complete faith. We have complete faith in the inevitability of victory today, tomorrow, or after it. We are all walking on this path because we have faith in the resistance. We either live in dignity or die. It is better to die than live humiliated. All the Palestinian people are just waiting for the signal from the resistance. It is either us or them. Our life with them is impossible. We were not asking for just better prison conditions. We want freedom. The prisoners don't eat. The prisoners don't eat, drink, or sleep. There are no sheets or mattresses after they took them from us. They told us we were being transferred, not that we were being released. The prison administration dealt with us in a vengeful manner. May Allah have mercy on all the martyrs and free all the prisoners. Yasmin Shaban of Janin embraces freedom after her liberation today as part of the resistance prisoner exchange deal. They told us we wouldn't be free. We have high confidence in the resistance that they will not leave a single person. We were not able to communicate with the world during the war. We would be searched, beaten, taken to isolation, sprayed with gas. From the first day of the war, we knew we would be free. We celebrated, ululated, they repressed us, beat us, isolated us, but we knew we were going home. Yasmin speaks of the prisoners of 48. No one talks about them. In fact, they deal with them with more violence than us. There are 28 female prisoners of 48, and we hope they will be included in the next exchange. Yasmin describes how the prisoners of 48 are prevented from feminine health products. In Palestine, everyone is either a prisoner or wanted or an administrative detainee. Our right to freedom is our right to land. We spend 52 difficult days in pain, thirst, being beaten, 
aside from being sprayed with gas and repression in indescribable ways. Our freedom came because of the blood of the martyrs and the blood of the martyrs is valuable to us and won't be forgotten. No Palestinian can forget this. To the resistance we say, we are behind you and support you until our last breath. Of Kabatia Janine emerged from the bus with a sling on his arm and he was free after he was freed from Nakab prison today. His mother's smiles turned to tears. Prison guards broke his arm a week ago. Moments before his release, they beat his, they beat his back. Mohammed said, an Israeli unit entered the room we were in and the jailers entered to count us. We put our hands on our heads. They, they entered in the section and started shouting on microphones so we would get scared so they could enter. No one reacted, so they entered and started beating and beating me. I tried to push him away so he could beat someone else, but he kept hitting me. He stuck to me, hitting me, hitting me on my head. He mangled my back. My hands are broken. I sat in pain for a week, sitting on the floor. Someone had to help me drink water and feed me. They didn't give us anything, medical care or treatment. They continued entering our rooms and beating us. It wasn't just me. There were people with their faces filled with blood. It, I, it mean it was a... I mean it was a battlefield for them. They would enter our rooms wanting to kill us. They bended the metal bars they had on us. If they wanted the metal bars to go back to how they were, they would hit it in our fingers and our heads. They broke both my arms and my fingers. I just returned from the hospital after my release and they said your bones are smashed. They will perform surgery on me. They didn't offer me any medical treatment. The Red Cross gave me the sling, not the prison services. I spent a week without treatment. Bakab Desert Prison is very difficult. The conditions of the prisoners is like death. I am young. I can handle it. The elderly prisoners can't. Is that all? Thank you. Free the prisoners! Free them all! The prisoner exchange deal was the beginning of a new life for me, and the prison is a nightmare that has ended, and I hope that male and female prisoners will gain freedom soon. The youngest Palestinian child prisoner in the prisoner's exchange deal, Ahmad, says he found out he was going to be liberated two hours ago. On October 7th, they closed all sections. We heard the women's voices when they were hit in the women's section in Damon prison. The repression unit was coming to us, but they were prevented. They only gave us two meals a day. We slept hungry, and there were no means of communication. His father says his son lost at least 10 kilograms while he was in the occupation's prisons. The free child prisoner arrived at his family's home in Janine camp two days after his release as part of the prisoner exchange deal because of the IOF aggression on the camp. He describes the beatings by Zionist prison services before his release. Gaza is an open wound for entire generations. To this day, we have not forgotten the Deir Yassin massacre. I say to the resistance and the whole world, to the people of Gaza and all Palestine, liberation is near. Liberation is near. May Allah have mercy on our martyrs, the most righteous among us. And they're not just kidnapped, they're being tortured in there. Shame on them. Shame, 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 shame. 
freed young prisoner Ahmed Bashar Abu Alia of Ramallah describes the moments before his freedom tonight as a result of the prisoner exchange deal. Ahmed was wounded at the time he was in prison and hugs his mother for the first time since. He says he received zero medical treatment in the prisons. In the last two months were extremely difficult, but it's all for the martyrs. The martyrs of Gaza and the martyrs of resistance. Praise be to Allah for the blessing of the resistance. In the prison, they would enter and beat us. Most of us would hope for the day of release. The youth's hope is in the resistance. If it wasn't for the resistance, no one would have hope. Our hope is only in the resistance. Our trust is in the our trust in the resistance is high. When asked about the moments before released, he said, They told me I had an interrogation. They made us take off our clothes and gave us these clothes. After they beat us, they gave us these clothes. One of the child prisoners liberated from the Naqab prison talks about the martyrdom of the Palestinian prisoner Zahir Abu Asab. He says the situation is very hard. There's a lack of food, they hit us. There's a martyr who was martyred in the section I was in, Zahir Abu Asab. They beat him and beat him and beat him until he died. We yelled at them to get the doctor, but the doctor didn't arrive until an hour and a half later. The young man was already martyred in cold blood. The young man was martyred on the floor and they didn't do anything as if nothing was happening. He was martyred on the floor and he gave his soul to God on the floor because of torture, hitting. They killed him because he asked a question. He asked the jailer, is there a truce? The jailer said no. The same night they came in, beat him and killed him. Praise be to God, our happiness is incomplete. Excuse me for I'm not the strongest speaker. The free child prisoner Omar Alastan of Ramallah speaks after he was freed from the Zionist prisons. The situation of the prisoners is difficult. Beating, aggression, lack of food, everything. I was there for 20 months. Thank you to the resistance. They won, our, won us our freedom. Praise be to Allah. God willing, all the prisoners will be freed. Another free prisoner says, our feelings are indescribable. There are martyrs in Gaza. We were liberated and there are martyrs. It's happiness mixed with sadness. I am 18 years old. They arrested me in 2022. Thank you to the resistance in our family in Gaza. The liberated prisoner, Hamada Abu Samra of Janine is freed after two years in the Zionist prisons. He says to the resistance, we are with you with our heart and soul, God willing until victory and the removal of this occupation. He continued, the prisoners have suffered. He continued, the prisoners have suffered a lot since October 7th. God willing, our meeting with the rest of the prisoners is near. May Allah strengthen this resistance, and we are all with them until victory. Our condolences to our siblings in Gaza for their martyrs, those they lost for the prisoners in the occupation's prisons. God willing, victory is near. Would anyone like to come up and read the last one? Oh, okay. The liberated Palestinian child prisoner, Yasser Zaimeh, who was freed today from Merido prison as a result of the prisoner exchange deal stated, the year I was in prison was difficult. They dealt with us with heavy violence and repression. On October 30th, 
They beat many prisoners. Prisoners died at their hands. We learned from the news that three prisoners were martyred. The interviewer corrected him that six prisoners were martyred. I didn't know there were others, young children, whose heads were split open by the beatings. Young children, 10 and 12 years old, who were being beaten. They dealt with us with the most intense violence. One plate of rice was given to eight prisoners. It was abnormal violence. He continued, praise be to God. The prisoners in Merido, pardon, are doing well, but they are going through the most difficult conditions, difficult to the maximum. Just dry rice. They don't bring us meat or fruit or vitamins or anything. We just had a mattress sheet and very thin sheets. We wake up cold at night, unable to sleep. We slept for just two or three hours. Since the war started, we faced extremely difficult conditions. The prisoners in general are suffering. My name is Jande Mazoko Bonito. I'm here because I'm part of my school's student um, justice organization. I go to Howard University. I don't know if that's important, but and I'm here because the Palestinian people deserve freedom. They don't deserve to be treated like this. No one deserves to be treated like this. And so we need to be able to fight for the people who are not able to fight for themselves. And you have an accent. Where, where's your accent? Oh, I grew up in South Africa. Okay, so yes. you know, that's a real reference for people when they talk about apartheid Israel. Exactly. So, um, how are South Africans or, you know, the people who you associate with feeling about this struggle right now for Gaza? Well, they feel they feel like the, the experience is very much aligned. Mm-hmm. Like, we are definitely, like, I say we as South Africans, like, we've gone out on the streets in South Africa. Even though I'm here right now, we've been going out on the streets, we've been protesting because we see the behavior is the same the situation is the same and so we cannot stand by knowing what we went through as people of color in south africa we cannot stand by and not stand for the palestinian people and stand with the palestinian people because we know that we're going through the same thing exactly exactly how about you uh have the same sentiments as her i'm Masekho mahal from south africa as well i'm an opinion in the city we went through apartheid as south africa and we need to stand with the palestinians their struggles is our struggles. They cannot go through this, and we cannot watch them go through this. They right. deserve the freedom, yeah. just as we got the freedom. Yeah. I think South Africa recalled their ambassador or yeah. something yeah. like that. They, you know, oh, yeah. they've been out front in terms of internationally as a country. If you could say something to people in Gaza, what would you say to them? The world is standing with you. Sometimes it might feel like no one is 
with you, but the people on the ground are with you. The governments are the ones that are failing us. The people collectively throughout the world are standing with you and you're not alone. You will get freedom in, 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 in our lifetime. Okay, yeah. thank you so much. You just heard voices from a rally outside the U.S. State Department on November 29th, 2023, on the International Day of Solidarity with the Palestinian People. Members of the crowd volunteered to read statements by hostages just released from Israeli prisons. This is On the Ground. I'm Esther Averam. Stay with us. With a hard times, tales from the dark side, evidence of the settlements on my hard drive. Man, I swear my heart died at the end of that car ride. When I saw that checkpoint, welcome to apartheid. Soldiers wear military green at the checkpoint. Automatic guns, that's machine at the checkpoint. Tables not M16s at the checkpoint. Fingers on the trigger, you'll get leaned at the checkpoint. Little children going to dogs and teens at the checkpoint. All your papers better be clean at the checkpoint. Gotta put your finger on the screen at the checkpoint and pray that red light. Turns green at the checkpoint And Martin Luther King had a dream on the checkpoint He wake with loud screams from the scenes At the checkpoint is Malcolm X By any means at the checkpoint Imagine if your daily routine was the checkpoint And Martin Luther King had a dream on the checkpoint He wake with loud screams it's that time of the year, and I know so many of our on-the-ground listeners will be receiving solicitations for donations. And I want to remind you that on the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored show, and we are a not-for-profit. We are a registered not-for-profit in the United States. So that means that anything that you give is tax-deductible. It could be that some of us are in a position to be very generous. And if you are, I ask you to please consider On the Ground in your end-of-year giving. The easiest way to give is on our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash on the ground show. You can also give on PayPal and find out other ways to give on our website on the groundshow.org. But if you enjoy the show, if you check out the show, if you enjoy what we're able to produce as this labor of love, please join with us and uh, be an activist with us, be an active agent of articulation in these perilous times and support independent media because we only have you to rely on. So again, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and also onthegroundshow.org has links to PayPal and the address to send a check if you can do that. But whatever you do, know that it will be much appreciated. Thank you. Separation walls that surround in the checkpoint on top is barbed wire like a crown on the checkpoint. Better have your permits if you found at the checkpoint. Coming on the tower, aiming down at the checkpoint. Idea is to keep you in fear at the checkpoint. Enter through the cage in the rear of the checkpoint. Feels like prison on a tear at the checkpoint. I'd rather be anywhere but here at this checkpoint. Nelson Mandela wasn't blind to the checkpoint. He stood for free Palestine at a checkpoint. Support BDS, don't give a dime to the checkpoint. This is in National crime at the checkpoint. Arabs get treated like dogs at the checkpoint. Cause discrimination is the law at the checkpoint. Criminalized without a cause at the checkpoint. I'm just telling you what I saw at the checkpoint. Soldiers got bad attitudes at the checkpoint. Condescending and real rude at the checkpoint. Don't look them in their eyes 
when they move with the checkpoint They might strip a man or woman nude at the checkpoint Soldiers might blow you out the shoes at the checkpoint Gas you up and in like the fuse at the checkpoint Every day you stand to be accused at the checkpoint Each time your life you can lose at the checkpoint And Martin Luther King had a dream this is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum, and we're continuing to explore the mounting evidence that Israeli forces likely killed many of their own citizens on October 7th, as reports document that they fired indiscriminately with bullets, tank munitions, and Hellfire missiles in an effort to defeat Hamas. For more, I'm joined by Max Blumenthal, editor-in-chief of The Gray Zone, and our listeners know that we covered his recent report on this issue. And this week he has a, a new article that we're going to discuss. Welcome back to the show, Max. Good to be back. Well, we went into detail mainly about your conversation with Chris Hedges. And the thing that I thought distinguished your reporting from some of the other reports that I'd seen is the fact that you kind of went into detail about three sites on October 7th, the military complex or military outpost at Eris Crossing, and then also the electronic music festival, and then the kibbutz, I think Bieri kibbutz, and the fact that these are three sites where there's obvious evidence that Israel fired on its own people, including soldiers and civilians. Yeah. So one of the things that I want to, to drill down in terms of your report is the fact that I don't hear reported much in corporate media. And that's the fact that of the, at first, 1,400 people that they said were killed, and then it was reduced to 1,200 because they had to subtract the 200 people who, that were Hamas fighters who they killed and that they claimed originally were Israeli citizens. But of the 1,200 people, I don't think that corporate media is really talking about the fact that so many of these people were combatants, including IDF soldiers who were maintaining the siege on Gaza. I even saw one report that said that one of the snipers involved in shooting people during the Great March of Return may have been killed or may have been captured you know, in this military operation. So can you help us uh, break down of these people who were either killed or captured? How many combatants are we talking about as opposed to civilians? Because civilians is all we hear about. We're talking about as much as 400 people from Israel's Gaza division. The Gaza division was wiped out. And that is the division in charge of the siege of Gaza at bases like Nahalaz and Zikim. So, that's a that's a high number. Right now, it constitutes about one third of the total. But many armed security personnel who are not active duty soldiers who were carrying weapons were also killed, uh, and those were not necessarily marked as active duty soldiers. In Israel, aren't all adults in the military basically? Between 18 and 22, you can script into the military. And then after age 22, you have to um, maintain reserve service into your 30s. So that means you report for duty if there's a general call up and you do occasional training. Many of the people at the Electronic Music Festival 
were soldiers or reservists who were just not in their uniform. And then of the people taken hostage, there were reports that were there are four Israeli generals among the hostages. So what's the same breakdown in terms of the hostages? Like, because we keep hearing mainly that these are civilians being held. I think there might be some officer level Israelis who were taken from bases. I mean, there's some rumor about someone who is a, um, a high ranking officer named Nimrod Aloni, who was, uh, you know, a fanatical a supporter of destroying Gaza and participated in previous operations, but I can't really find confirmation of that. There definitely were several soldiers who were taken, and I would assume those are the most valuable of the captives, but they also are the ones who are likely to come out last. Right. And they may demand more in terms of more of the Palestinians being held as prisoners could be released in exchange for these people, right? Right, yeah. For these soldiers or military people. Well, I mean, Gilad Shalit was captured in his tank in 2006 outside Gaza. He was released in 2011 for 1,027 Palestinian prisoners, including the current prime minister of Gaza, Yahya Senwar, who actually negotiated or played a major role in negotiating that exchange. So, that's what influenced the October 7th operation. From the perspective of Hamas or Palestinian Islamic Jihad, it's like they're governing 2 million people. They're, they're a legitimate government. They run ministries. I've been there. It runs much more efficiently than Cairo. You know, the streets are cleaner. It just feels like a regular place. Hamas is in charge. And yet they're defined as a terrorist organization by the entire collective West. And so all diplomatic channels to them are completely cut off. So this is their only way of establishing some form of diplomatic and political leverage is to take captives. And the Gilad Shalit exchange was the real blueprint, the real basis for October 7th. Maybe it would be good time to talk about the so-called Hannibal Doctrine now, I keep hearing it discussed, you know, named after the Carthaginian general who poisoned himself rather than be taken captive, and that Israel had this doctrine and that it was supposedly disbanded, but that perhaps given they're targeting their own people on October 7th, that maybe it's still in play? Oh, it's definitely in play. And it's a snap decision that has to be made. It's a decision in the heat of the moment. I was in uh, Rafa, the southern Gaza city on the outskirts, just days after what was known as Black Friday, where Israel first executed the Hannibal Directive in the open in order to kill one of its own soldiers named Hadar Golden, who was a uh, colonel. And I mean, he was an officer. He was from a family that would have made a lot of noise if he had been taken captive, just like Gilad Shalit's family, Gilad Shalit. I, I used to see Gilad Shalit's father all the time outside Benjamin Netanyahu's office leading protests. I mean, this was a very politically active, politically sophisticated and dedicated family. And the family in so, in so many ways was as much a political threat to the military and to Netanyahu as 
Hamas might have been enforcing the issue of this prisoner exchange they didn't want to do. So they killed this guy, Hadar Golden, when he had been taken by Hamas fighters around Rafah. They also killed the fighters. They killed everyone. They killed over 100 people in a few hours. Uh, I found shrapnel everywhere. Mark 80 bombs made in the USA. I found them lying around, this, this shrapnel. Destroyed homes. That was the Hannibal Directive. You have to kill the soldier to prevent giving up a thousand Palestinian prisoners. So then flash forward to October 7th of this year, you have hundreds of captives being taken inside the so-called Gaza envelope in Israel, the Southern Israeli communities and this electronic music festival. At the electronic music festival, you see the Hamas commandos weren't necessarily there They might have been on the outskirts, but you had common people flowing in from Gaza just grabbing captives because they thought that it was going to allow them to get their family members or their neighbor's family members out of the prisons. You saw people getting grabbed, grabbing people on, throwing them on rickshaws and on motorcycles who didn't even have weapons. (laughs) So, Yeah, that's something that I didn't hear in other reports too, the fact that Maybe people who weren't even part of the operation, who weren't even part of Al Aqsa Flood, were there just uh, wandering through the gaping hole in the fence and lo- wandering into Israel where they had never been before. And, you know, when I hear all these supposed other crimes happening that uh, Israel claims happened that day, I'm thinking also that Hamas may not even be responsible for some of those things. Yeah, I think the worst crime that of the day that we can definitely pin on a Palestinian was the beating to death of a Thai worker, one of these sort of de facto indentured servants who are keeping the kibbutzim alive uh, by doing all the hard work. was beaten to death with a shovel on camera. It was a brutal beating and it wasn't carried out by a Hamas commando. It was carried out by just some rabble that came in after the commando teams had already left. And um, they just said, you know, screw these people. These are the people that our settlers who've taken our land and we're just going to rampage. But then there were other people who were just wanting to take selfies of, to show themselves inside Israel. Journalists from Gaza came in um, who are now being targeted by the Israeli military just for being there. And as I said, you know, low level activists with Hamas might've gone in, tried to grab some captives because they could. Some picked up weapons off the dead fighters and, We don't totally know what happened, but what we do know is that many Israelis were flowing back into Gaza in vehicles and Apache helicopter crews were activated, two squadrons at full strength by noon, and they were just given orders to fire at everything that was, you know, every vehicle. They were first told that uh, Hamas is using a tactic where they walk, so they're not identified as terrorists and they blend in. So empty your cannon on people walking. And these were people walking on the fields away from the Nova Electronic Music Festival, flowing from the Electronic Music Festival and the kibbutzim on the roads toward the towards Gaza through the holes in, that had been blown up in the wall surrounding Gaza. And these cars had Israelis in them. You know, Some of them were captives and some of them might, may have been Israeli cars trying to just escape. Um, and the helicopter pilots told Israeli media, we had no intelligence we were we had no idea what was who was who, but we had to act. And then we heard a uh, brigadier general actually tell 
Israeli media that a mass Hannibal was enacted in this area by the helicopter pilots. Mass Hannibal meaning mass attacks on cars containing captives to prevent so many captives from getting into Gaza. Wow. So I think one of the things that you did in your report is that you pieced together all of these different reports that were right there. Maybe a lot of them were in Hebrew, you know, Western media didn't take the time to put these things together. But if you have a general basically saying the words, this is a mass Hannibal, I mean, (laughs) that's pretty clear what it is. But, you know, the fact that you talked about the music festival makes me want to just kind of go briefly over the three sites you talk about in your report. So I was struck by the reporting on the the Nova Music Festival, because that's where, as you just said, you have these helicopter pilots firing Hellfire missiles. And and the fact that having been at other scenes, maybe in Gaza or elsewhere, and then I was listening to your conversation with Chris Hedges, and then he'd actually seen Kuwait in 1992 in what was called the Highway of Death when the United States just mowed down retreating tanks of Iraqis and just shot all these tanks up and they incinerated them. Well, the similarity, the just take anyone listening, just Google uh, images of the highway of death and compare them to the some of the images that the Israeli foreign ministry is showing around at, at these screenings or on these Hamas massacre websites. And they look very, the cars that have, um, burned bodies inside them look very similar to those that were attacked by A-10 Warthog attack jets and Apache helicopters in the first Desert Storm Wars. This is a huge mistake by Israel to actually include these photos because only Hellfire missiles can melt cars and you see so many melted cars and you see bodies burnt to a crisp what weapon in Hamas's arsenal can do that? I understand you could potentially light the fuel tank of a car by shooting at it, just like unloading lots of ammo or hitting it with a rocket propelled grenade. And this, it, it did happen that drivers were shot deliberately by Hamas fighters. I mean, there's video of this, but how could you do that to that many cars? And the Israeli um, Air Force published video of them hitting cars, car after car. We don't know who was in those cars or whose car they were, but they just said, oh, we're just hitting terrorists. And 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 as I mentioned before, it was Colonel Nof Erez of the Israeli Air Force who told Israeli media that uh, Israel carried out a mass Hannibal on October 7th. And those pictures of burned bodies they're parading those pictures as uh, proof of Hamas being barbaric, right? That that Hamas did this. Yeah, that they just burned. They ran around burning people alive, and and now they're saying that they raped uh, lots of women during the electronic music festival because they're just these savage, sexually repressed Arab men, and then they see all these scantily clad women, and they just go, they just go on a rape spree. But there's no video of it. There's no concrete evidence. There's no first-person testimony, zero, yet they're looking for it. They want it because it will help them justify the killing of over 8,000 children and women in less than two months. Um, But it isn't there. But let's just be logical. How would it have been possible 
in a hail of bullets in all the chaos with uh, Apache helicopters operating overhead that you just stop and just start raping people left and right. Like it just doesn't add up, but they're, they're pouring on, they're throwing whatever crap against the wall they can and seeing what sticks with the international media and with the public just to give themselves cover to continue to slaughter civilians, target civilians across the Gaza Strip. And that's why it's so important to actually look at what really happened on October 7th, to actually get an accurate death count. And I mean, it's an issue of proportionality. Is Israel, I mean, I don't think Israel has a right to self-defense against occupied people who have been bombarded consistently for years and years and held under siege. It's not self-defense, it's occupation enforcement. So there is no international law granting them that. But that's beside the point here. The point is, is it a proportionate response? And Israel is trying to exaggerate the atrocities of October 7th in order to make it seem proportionate and to give themselves space for a revenge operation that actually has no real military objective except killing people and satiating the bloodlust of Israelis. So, I mean, there's so many allegations I could go through that are completely bogus. We started with the 40 beheaded babies, repeated by Biden and CNN, a baby baked in an oven, completely bogus. Then we have all these stories of families who had been burned alive in their homes in Kibbutz Barry, who are tied up, which is also, it just seems sort of tactically very difficult to burn that many people alive after tying them up when you're pinned down by Israeli special forces and special police. What actually happened clearly, and I'm not saying this happened in every case or that everyone in Kibbutz Barry was killed by the Israeli army, but what actually happened in many cases, it's becoming increasingly clear, is that tanks were brought in and they shelled the homes. They were given orders to shell homes with captives inside as a means of dislodging and killing the Hamas gunmen who were holding them captive. And I can actually see what they were thinking there. It was just this, they don't actually know, they don't have another way in the Israeli military. Their whole doctrine is disproportionate force. They're completely fine killing civilians in Gaza. And they they had to act fast, but they also have, they do this thing in the West Bank all the time. Whenever they're trying to catch a so-called terrorist which is someone who actually takes up a gun and attacks soldiers, occupation soldiers, is called a pressure cooker operation. And they start to hit the walls of a home with anti-tank rockets, or they place explosives around the walls of the home, and they basically blow up all the walls and they force the guy out, or they just just detonate his hiding place. And then they take him out with uh, small arms, and, uh, you know, it, it, it usually gets the desired result. But in this case, the walls didn't just come down. The whole house came down and they killed everyone, in, at least in one documented case, because one woman actually survived and told the tale. But I think in many cases, most people didn't survive. Exactly. She was one of the early stories, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that segues into your report this week. I do want to go to the the military base, but since we're talking about a kibbutz, 
Uh, this week, you have a story about a tank gunner who just gave an interview talking about how she was ordered to just um, to do what you just said, to open fire on a compound, even if there were um, Israeli hostages or citizens there because they wanted to get Hamas and they didn't want people taken hostage, I guess. Yeah. I mean, going back to the story I was recounting before, the Israeli government has put forward one of the girls who was killed by an Israeli tank as a victim of Hamas, Lael Hetzroni. And so that's, you know, that was a story I reported last week, relying on testimony from the rare survivor of one of these standoffs. But then you have um, the Israeli media looking for heroes of October 7th. And so they found this female tank division, the first female tank division. They're apparently given not very good tanks and just kind of border guard duties. And then all of a sudden they were rushed into more advanced Merkava tanks with the Katlan remote controlled machine gun system, which they admitted they didn't know how to use. And Israel's Channel 13 profiled them as these like, you know, boss girls, these boss women, like, yes, queening their way through uh, the, the terrorist wave and running them over. They're boasting about running them over. And then one of them describes an order to fire a shell on a house in a kibbutz. This is a kibbutz where they, there weren't that many deaths. There were 10 deaths. And she said, um, actually, she refused the order to fire a shell and instead opened fire with her machine gun. And they just described firing everywhere, not knowing what they were firing on. And the Israeli, like these, all these pro-Israel accounts went on Twitter X and promoted this Channel 13 report as evidence of just the gender equity and general coolness of the Israeli military, not realizing that they were providing at least circumstantial evidence of friendly fire. And then going back to the cars that I was talking about, the melted cars, the burned cars, it, the Israeli government is working with this group called Zaka, which is not actually a, a certified rescue group. They basically are religious ultra-Orthodox Jews or, or religious nationalist Jews, many of them from Brooklyn who you know now are Israeli citizens. They're volunteers and they carry out ritual or religious burials of uh, people who, who have died in disasters and so on. Um, but they're being presented as rescuers. A lot of their testimony, which is bogus first-person testimony of, for example, one of them claimed that uh, a, a Hamas militant cut a fetus out of a woman. It's just completely fake. This was repeated by the First Lady of Israel in Newsweek. They're just spinning out all these testimonies but they are now in charge of a major operation to bury all of the burned cars from in and around the Novo Electronic Music Festival because they have remains of the drivers or occupants in them. And they say that there's no way to actually bury all the remains according to Jewish law. And so they have to bury the cars. But first, they're going to shred the cars to be as environmentally friendly as possible, as reported by the Jerusalem Post. So basically, they're just burying evidence, um, forensic evidence, before any independent- Shred the car with the body in it? Well, they're like parts. They're skin. They're you know, burned parts. Yeah, and so they're going to shred the car. I don't know what it means. They're going to put it in a trash compactor or something, and then they're going to bury it on all the cars underground before any independent investigation can take place. Right, right. That's that's exactly right. I mean, it's just, you know, 
there's so many questions we we should be asking or the press should be asking why was the the tunnel under Shifa hospital blown up why are these cars being buried why were so many bodies taken from the courtyard of Shifa hospital and from the mortuary by Israel when are they coming back uh what's going on here what are they doing with those bodies why did they lie about the 1400 number why did they show us pictures of obvious dead Hamas militants and tell us they were Israelis. How many other pictures are there like that? I mean, the, the questions are only being asked in the alternative press and independent media. And now they're calling us conspiracy theorists. Haaretz has published a piece. It's headed on its front page for days, attacking me by name and its headline, accusing me of a masterclass in manipulation. But it doesn't dis- debunk any of the facts I put forward. It just simply smears me. Right. And so, and they are facts. They, they aren't disputing the facts. But the last thing I want to ask you about, because we talked about the Nova Music Festival and these Hellfire missiles. We talked about the kibbutz and this tank fire. And, and then I guess this week, you know, these, these uh, IDF soldiers talking about just opening up fire with their machine guns, right? Or automatic rifles, right? Well, with the gun on the gun mounted on the, tank turret, which is a powerful gun. I mean, I don't know what, I would assume it's like NATO standard 7.62 millimeter. This is, you know, that will blow your head off. Okay. Right. Right. It's it's not rubber bullets. (laughs) So the last thing I wanted to ask you about is the military base. um, Is it Aris Crossing? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you you talked about a commander at the base going into a bunker and basically ordering a strike on his own base. This would be another case where a bomb or a missile was used that day against uh, Israeli citizens, but not just citizens, but in this case, soldiers. Yeah. I mean, that base, I've been through that base because that's what you pass through to go in and out of Gaza if you get permission from the Israeli government. So I've been through that base three times. It's very large. It's like a giant hangar. And in the upper reaches of that base is the Israeli civil administration offices. So there are all these military bureaucrats who are there enforcing the siege of Gaza. They're like pencil pushers. And then you have soldiers who are making sure the base is guarded, getting people in and out. And uh, it was taken over by Hamas militants. And then people, average people from Gaza just started flowing through it and chaos erupted. The soldiers were taken hostage or taken captive. Uh, Many were killed. And the commander of the Gaza division went into an underground bunker. And as you said, ordered an airstrike on Israel's own base. Haaretz and its attack kind of forgot to mention that part. And he's quoted in guess who by guess who Haaretz describing that order to bomb the base. I found some footage of the base on the day after published by the Israeli state media organization, I-24. And it showed that the roof had just clearly like caved in. The base was empty, severe destruction. So, so yeah, how many did they, how many of their own did they kill in there? We may never know. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I definitely would like to keep following the story with you. You know, what you said is actually true. And I think you said that in, in at least the report that I read that, you know, 
there's a lot about October 7th that we do not know. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, they say that in Israel, this is our 9-11. Well, Americans wanted to know more about 9-11. They were, whether you believe it was an inside job or not, I, pretty much everyone agrees the official commission wasn't giving Americans the truth. Um, and Israelis, I mean, we can see from the way that the captives coming out of Gaza are being managed by the Israeli government, where they're not allowing them to speak or they're carefully managing their testimony. Uh, it appears there's some coaching of their family members that they don't want the Israeli public to get the full story because it'll break morale during a war that they believe is existential. So it's important. And, and I, and, you know, this will be the first time I, I say this to anyone. I try, I've been trying to get my article translated into Hebrew. I found a Hebrew translator. I paid them and they pulled out because they're afraid of what could happen to them if they get somehow tied to this investigation that I did. Um, I wanted the Israeli public to be able to read it. And, but people are being arrested left and right, intimidated if they're seen as anti-war in Israel. Uh, even the slightest social media post can land them in prison. So I can't find anyone in Israel, even though they may agree with me. I can't find them to get this material to their country people. Well, maybe someone hearing this show who can translate into Hebrew will do it anyway. Maybe they'll be here in this country or another country and somehow, you know, people can hear it or, or read it in Israel. Well, we'll see. If they, they don't, you can reach me publicly at the gray zone. Our email's right on the site. Right. And that's the grayzone.com. I've been speaking with Max Blumenthal, editor in chief of the gray zone. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much, Esther. Keep up the great work. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. You can work with us, support us, and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain. That's onthegroundshow.org. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter or supporting us on patreon.com forward slash onthegroundshow. You can also write us at contact at onthegroundshow.org. Our podcast is On the Ground with Esther Averam, and that's on all your podcast platforms. The music we played this hour included drummers outside the homegoing service for Baba Tariq Oduno, Checkpoint by Jaziri X, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix, who would have turned 81 on November 27th, 2023. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace.